just not getting over ambitious mm -hmm. starting out is a huge thing. But just what I did after I did the one project that fizzled and then exactly one year after that, I did another huge project that this time I was, I swore I was going to finish this one. That one eventually fizzled after an even longer period of pre-production pre and some production, which was very sad. But both of those are just over ambitious, biting off more than I can chew. And after both of those fizzled, in 2020, the year after that, is when I basically almost reset a little bit in terms of my my expectations of what I wanted to make. Welcome to this week's Animator's Journey podcast episode. I'm your host, Lucas Ridley. And this week, my guest is Chris Theron from Something's Awry Productions, who is an amazing animator, generalist, visual effects creator. He has grown his YouTube channel over the last year from 10,000 to like 100,000 subscribers. He won Clinton Jones contest on YouTube with an amazing animation. He's worked for big brands and he has an, a really interesting style, I think to his work as well. I wanted to bring his experience to the podcast and hear about his journey and what advice he might have for you getting started in animation and creating amazing work like his. Thanks for joining Chris. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. If you're interested in starting your own animator's journey, check out animatorsjourney.com where I've created a focused and simplified accelerated approach to becoming a 3D animator. Was that intro pretty accurate? Would you say you're kind of, you wear a lot of hats, like you have a lot of titles? Uh, yeah, that was pretty much spot on. I count myself as pretty much a generalist. I do every bit of the 3D process along with doing all the sound design, editing, cinematography, all that stuff. The only things I don't handle on my end are doing things like writing, coming up with stories, doing music, and then all the producing stuff, organizing things. And when we have these bigger productions, it's always a larger team we have to coordinate. But especially for my more personal projects and my YouTube channel, and all that stuff. That's pretty much just me. And yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And I've been doing it for a good number of years at this point. So it's something That's I'm a, used to. I feel like you're living the dream from like a creator <laughs> standpoint where you get to do brand things, you're doing your own thing, you're building social media following. And would you describe it that way? And is, has this been the goal from the beginning or where, like, where have you started to reflecting back on where you began? Like, has this always been the goal to be able to do this type of work? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I started out way back when doing stop motion animation for commercial commercials and for my YouTube channel. That was like eight years ago or 10 years ago at this point. And then slowly over time, I transitioned into doing 3D animation and I took basically the commercial stuff I do. I took that with me and translated that into what I do now. I would say I de it definitely has been basically the goal. Uh, I wouldn't say I've hit the peak of my yeah. dream yet for where I want to be in projects I handle, but I definitely think I'm working up towards that. Like you said, being able to juggle both doing commercial projects, which actually pay money, and then balancing that with doing my own short films and things like that in, in between all that, that is pretty much the dream. And for what I do is basically freelance. So it varies year to year in terms of how much work I actually get. But luckily, I'm able to, like I said, compensate for the lack of like commercial projects with doing larger short films. So last year, I was able to do two films, Grump in the Night and Unlucky Charms, because there were some longer periods there where I had more stuff to do. But the whole basically... The whole part of this dream that I'm trying to do is be able to use these short films as a way to advertise myself to doing commercial work. And so that's how I justify it to myself. And it's basically been my strategy for, I think the last three years, just doing my own stuff, putting it up online, showing it to people. And then we've actually gotten at least decent response from, from some clients. And, you know, a lot of people point to our website and how it has like this variety of basically styles and stuff. And that's just because you know, I do what interests me and it's not strictly us doing product renders and other more traditional commercial stuff all the time. Yeah, it seems like that's working for you. And it's something that stands out 
to me when I see your work, it's the kind of work where I'm like, wait, who is this? <laughs> who is creating this high level of work? Especially when it's, there's a personal project or you're expecting to see some kind of branding thing in it and th that doesn't come. And you're like, whoa, this person just <laughs> did this. What's happening here? And then you're just I, I, like, I don't know, for me, I get curious. I'm like, who is this person? What are they doing? And we have some overlap in our past of doing some commercial stuff. So I, I was already aware of you, but just to, it's been fun to see that evolution of even if someone goes on your YouTube channel, you can see in the last couple of years, it's just been like this huge acceleration, at least from just looking at the thumbnails. I'm like, oh, whoa. Yeah, um, yeah. It sounds like that's been pretty deliberate. Or was there a shift in from that stop motion beginning to now where you were like, I'm going to get after this thing. And you had to like say no to other things. You had to put stop motion aside or like how deliberate was it? Or was it just like a passion thing that just built and built over each project? But yeah. So the transition that I was talking about with like from stop motion to 3D animation, that was really like a gradual transition until it wasn't where, where I think around like 2016, 2017, I really started to learn more about 3D and I was still doing mostly stop motion stuff at that time. So I would work it in little parts here and there in my stop motion stuff. So I might have some CG elements or I'll do a background that might be a bit more fully CG, things like that. And then I think about around like 2018, that was when stop motion work, especially like in the even smaller niche of stop motion work that I do, which is more for toys. And I did a lot of Lego animation for the Lego group back then. It was around that time that really started to slow down pretty much in how many jobs are being offered there. So at that point, I believe 2018 was really when I ramped up doing 3D animation and going in for doing commercial stuff with that. And that's when you see some of my very first like early 3D work, which was some sci-fi channel bumpers that they had. They had some projects for that. Those were my early, early low budget 3D things that I did. And yeah, that was a, at that point, that was a more quick transition that I had to make basically out of necessity. And then, and it was a slower buildup in terms of actually getting bigger 3D jobs at that point, because I had to jump into it and start a bit more from scratch because I didn't have as much 3D work to show clients. And that was a period of definitely more short film stuff, more, or me at least attempting to do short films, learning on my own how to do this, because I'm pretty much all self-taught when it comes to 3D animation. Yeah, that's amazing. Especially with 3D animation, it's such a hard, I had to go back to school. I couldn't teach myself this stuff. So I really am impressed anytime someone can self-teach this level of, there's so many little gotcha moments in 3D animation, especially being a generalist. It's yeah. like, oh, you didn't click this one little checkbox, then nothing's going to work yep. now. It's like, that's what? very technical. <laughs> How would you know that? So yeah, I can appreciate, especially that quick of an acceleration on your own is really impressive. Can you tell me more about the process when you are going after a new personal project or short film? How do you scope out how much work it's going to be? Do you, are there ideas you're just like, Hey, I'm one person doing this and I need to rein in the scope. Do you, how many ideas do you have going at a time and how do you pick nail down that one to say, okay, I'm going to spend the next three or four months of my life working on this thing. How do you come to that determination when there's so many ideas up in the air? Yeah, it really is. It's a tougher process when you're, when you have, when it is like basically a one man band for uh, a lot of my projects, it really, it does come down to that thing you said, which is I'm just one person and I have to really consider what specific ideas I want to go with that can actually be achieved by me in like a reasonable amount of time. Cause I have, I've been guilty of very early on trying to do these longer six to nine minute, like short films in 3d as like my very first projects and, and they were not, I, they were definitely ambitious. And I spent three months in like my first one doing all the pre-production and the character modeling and things like that. And in the end, it just fizzled out because of various crippling technical issues. Cause I just didn't know really what I could and couldn't do. And it was just like, a, it was a very ambitious thing, and a lot of work. So that project basically fizzled and died. And so for last year, my more, my, one of my more recent shorts for Grump in the Night, that one was, I'd say equally ambitious in terms of the character animation and the appeal that had to be 
that I had to get across just on my own being the one lone animator and editor, lighter, things like that. So that short was an idea that's been around for a while, but I came back to it because I realized, hey, this is like a perfect thing for one guy to do. It had minimal characters, one environment, and it was very a slapstick back and forth thing that I could see myself being able to achieve with a sort of flow I do. And it wouldn't, and I had hoped at least that it wouldn't have take that wouldn't take an extreme amount of time. And ultimately it was about like four months, which as 3D animation goes is not the craziest, but yeah, yeah for sure. Even some of the, so from the one that kind of fizzled, what did you learn from that, that you brought into the next one to say, okay, I think I can achieve it from that kind of fizzle to actually getting one across the finish line. What changed that you were like, I'm going to look out for this and this, or was it just still learning along the way? I'm sure a little bit, but was there? Yeah. Yeah. That short film, like that was immensely helpful in that I really, it, it was basically two months of me figuring out the whole process of 3D on my own. Cause I basically do a motion capture process where I do all the motion capture animation with a suit that I have. And then I had to basically figure out from scratch cause there's not really much documentation about doing motion capture in my 3D program, Cinema 4D, at least back then in 2018. So it was a trial and error thing of me for days on end, like figuring out how to get this stuff to work with this and this process to work with that. And I spent a lot of, uh, I spent a lot of nights fine tuning that workflow and figuring out on my own and that then and then when that project like completely died by december of 2018 i pivoted really quickly into making a much shorter ginger beady animation that was like a minute and minimal it was just a lot easier to achieve and i applied all that stuff i learned from doing the pre-production on this short film to that but at a much smaller scale and and yes yeah 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 and to that point i was curious a question for i was gonna ask later was about retargeting specifically this is gonna get technical for people for a second <laughs> but basically when you have motion capture that's on a motion capture skeleton, you have to find some way to put that on to your character. Is that one of those technicalities that you had difficulty with in cinema? I haven't used cinema 4D in that way. And just retargeting in general is usually there's some struggle because proportions are different or yep. scale of things. And can you speak a little bit to that of like how you overcame that? And was it just that trial and error you're describing? Yeah, it was a, it definitely was a healthy amount of trial and error. Cinema 4D has gotten a bit better with that. Recently, they've introduced like more features that relate to retargeting. But even these days, I still have to, I stick with the older method that I have because it's, it's one I'm used to and has a bit more features to help me. But yeah, it was an extreme amount of trial and error. I've, I sent out like a lot of support tickets to like Cinema 4D people trying to help figure that out. But I, but I don't think anyone really got back to me about that. And that it was a whole thing of proportion of it's, yeah, Cinema 4D, it's just, it's a very bare bone though, that like I said, it's gotten better, but uh, Are you yeah, like it was- direct it, constraints, like just saying, keep the offset where it is between a joint and the motion capture suit and just making your own constraints for every joint in the skeleton or how? No, that's how I thought it used to have to work even way earlier when I first messed with, mess around with motion capture. But no, the Cinema 4D, they do have a system that basically automatically does that, which basically it'll just tie the rotations and positions of joints to corresponding ones in the character. But if the, but you have to, there was just some stupid things I had to realize along the way about how to optimize the data, how I had to delete a bunch of position animation on the joints because it doesn't just animate the rotation, it animates the position of the joints for some reason, at least the way I was doing it back then. And if you put that on a character that is differently proportioned, then all the limbs basically stretch in this crazy Frankenstein monster. And I had to figure out what was wrong with that. And then to figure out about scaling the character to the right height so that the legs were the same length as the leg as my legs in real life. And it was a whole, yeah, it was a whole like convoluted mess that I've since thankfully ironed out and I can do like a whole short film in a much quicker amount of time, just cause I suffered through that back then and it's all worked out now. And like I said, Cinema 4D, they've come up with a better system for doing motion capture that makes a lot more sense, but 
even now, I would still like it to be a, a bit more robust than it is. To this point of say encountering an issue or going down a road and having to fix stuff, I'm curious about like day-to-day because -day, we're speaking broadly about years of journeys, but what's the day-to-day -day look like when you're trying to approach such a huge topic like 3D animation? Are you trying to learn, all right, for the next month, I'm going to learn motion capture. And then a month after that, I'm going to learn substance painter. And then, or are you dipping in and out of things as you're learning them every day and say, here's an hour doing this, here's an hour doing that. How do you manage your time with how much you're juggling to learn all that stuff? And now I've pretty much mastered, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These days it's not a lot of learning anymore, yeah. luckily for, so for that, yeah, it's all, it's very smooth for back then learning. Yeah. Learning things like substance painter and motion capture, things like that. It really was, it, it, it wasn't, I'm not as good at doing multitasking, multitasking things every day. So I basically did it in the order. And I basically learned in the order of how pre-production might normally go. First was basically learning how to do better character modeling and things like Maya. And eventually ZBrush is what I went with a few years later. And then after I figure out how to do that, I'd move on to learning Substance Painter to texture the characters. And all these basically took, I think, I think I probably took like over a few days for each of them to figure that out. And then after I get the character done, I'll have to learn how to do all the rigging in Maya or actually the weight painting in Maya. And then after that, it's doing the whole motion capture journey of figuring that out. And that one obviously was more of a week of back and forth trial and error. But yeah, for me, it, it is just like a few days on this, move on to a few days on that. And it's all in the order that it might normally go because I don't think I could handle doing a back and forth juggling of learning one thing one hour, learn another thing another hour. And it just makes more sense like for later down the line, I can just take that whole process that I just did of going from modeling to texturing to rigging and then just compress that into a few days. So it all still feels like a familiar workflow to me. Is there any step of that process, I guess, that you dislike the most? <laughs> and is in the converse, is there, a, if you only had to choose one step of that process to do, which one would you pick? Oh yeah, that's a good question. For the one I hate the most, I think it would definitely have to be, yeah, it's definitely the whole rigging part of it. It's the most tedious, the most technical, and really, it really is not the most fun. Luckily, I've done it enough where it's... It's not a huge issue as much as it was before, but yeah, definitely rigging up a character, setting up the bones, getting, and then creating the actual character rig, like a facial rig and a hand rig and all that. And I have to basically sculpt out every single facial expression for the whole facial rig that I do, which I've done so many times at this point, but it's so dull at this point and it can easily mess you up way down the line. If you don't think of a certain thing or you just do some, yeah. some nonsense, the one I think I really like the most, if we're talking about like the whole 3d pipeline, yeah. mm -hmm. um, would definitely have to be a compositing because that is, oh, okay. is first off the, it's the quickest thing and it's the, it's where everything comes together in the end where you got all the frames finally rendered out after a month of rendering on the computer. And now you can just quickly iterate on these scenes and actually see it all finally come together with all the smoke, the dust lens flares and all that stuff. And so you see the culmination of just all your effort, like come very quickly and you can go from shot to shot and it only takes you like a few hours to maybe to do compositing as opposed to maybe if you're doing like animation or lighting or something like that, where it's two shots a day, you'll get done. And it's a very, it's a very tedious part of the whole process. Yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah, I went to school thinking I was going to be a compositor and I switched gears into animation, but I do have an affinity for compositing for that same reason where you really sweeten the whole process that took so long. You can sweeten something and like, kind of change how it looks completely very quickly at the end. Yeah, um, exactly. It's really rewarding. Yeah, that's cool. So when you work on bigger teams, is that the thing that you choose to take on yourself or you, how do you work when you're working on a, maybe a commercial or something like that? How do you organize that team and what do you, what part? 
parties. Yeah, for commercials, it, I still take on quite a bit just because that's what I'm used to. And I find it might take longer to actually explain sort of the workflow to someone else than just do it myself. And I can also just kind of be very, uh, very particular about things. So when we actually set up a larger team, I'll hand off the things I dislike the most to a team that actually, that hopefully likes and hopefully does it a lot better than me. Mainly the doing animation, because I usually do motion capture, but for most projects, actually doing hand animation is a lot more appealing and uh, just makes more sense. So we'll give that off to like professional animators. We'll also hand, give, we'll also do give off all the character rigging and things like that so that they can make a proper character rig that everyone can understand. And it's not just my, my very specific rig that works for me and probably no one else. And then a lot of, then depending on the project, I might handle modeling. We might, or if it's like a lot of stuff and a lot of characters, we'll give that off to yet another team. And then they can all work together on basically that chunk of the process and then I'll handle collecting it back all into Cinema 4D, doing all the shaders, the texturing, lighting, compositing, editing, sound effects, all that stuff. And then obviously just doing the directing the whole thing. And that's basically my part of that. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds like having that background of doing all those personal projects, it gives you that kind of insight to be able to manage so many different things and pick and choose where you know you're going to do best for the project. I'm sure the schedule that you have and the budget and all that are all the considerations you have to make when you take that on and delegate. What, a technical question, because we were talking about the render side of stuff. You, I think I've heard you mention you use Redshift. Is that still the case? Yep. That's, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And for people who aren't aware, Redshift is a renderer you can buy and I think they work for pretty much every every software now. It's a GPU render, so you yeah, can... quite a lot of them. Yeah, and do you do you have multiple GPUs, or how do you are do you oh, do yeah, cloud yeah. rendering? Okay, yeah. So we used to do cloud rendering for some older projects when things would get tight, but these days we've grown out our collection of GPUs. It's still very small, and it's gonna be gonna be growing in the next few months. But right now we have we have basically two computers that act as their own render farm. Each of them with four GPUs like crammed inside. Older GPUs at this, but they still once when you combine four of them, it's four times faster than maybe if you just had one newer GPU. We're able to basically render some shots in one computer, some shots in the other computer and get it done that way but still yeah it's a very janky render farm setup we have i feel like i'm on the cusp of having to do the same thing and what keeps me from doing that is i'm like i don't know if these gpus work together i don't i'm not like a mm. super technical guy and then i'm like what manages that i think there's like another software that you have to get to manage the farm itself and like, it just gets a bit complicated is that what you found or you've obviously yeah i'm on the yeah. <laughs> I'm on the I'm on the cusp of having to actually make our render farm actually more industry standard in because like you said there there are applications that you actually man manage the whole farm itself. Right now we don't have that. I messed around earlier last year, but it seemed to be it seemed to slow down some of my computers for some reason. So I just went back to uh, what is what I currently do, which is a very manual process of me going to one computer, assigning a bunch of shots, and me going to another computer, assigning that a bunch of shots and letting them render independently. So in case one crashes, it doesn't mess up the whole thing. And then I'll basically just throughout the next few days or weeks or whatever, I'll just check in on them, see how one's doing on their shots, one's on the other. I'll like move around shots if one's going faster and move some others around. And it's a very manual me looking over every single shot and making sure things haven't crashed and everything's rendering as it should. But Normally, if this were a larger production, I would definitely be using one of the uh, one of those softwares that can look at all the computers and give it all the frames and do it all work together more smoothly than it might otherwise. Yeah, yeah that's good to know. I can totally appreciate the position you're in because that's I've normally just done the cloud rendering thing because I'm like ah, I don't want to worry about it and you pay extra to just get it done. Yeah, <laughs> every frame can be on its own computer or if it needs to be, and I, I don't have to worry about it. But it is very expensive and. 
to give people context of who maybe have never even rendered anything, it, was that one of those technical things that you ran into when you're saying, oh, I'm going to do like a six minute long short film and maybe you haven't rendered something before. And was that one of those things where like, oh, this is going to take a year to render or something? Yeah. For the, those short films, if I had gotten to the rendering step before the project fizzled and died, that would have been the next thing I ran into that would have crippled <laughs> it a second time. But they, uh, to be more specific about why the first project did it crippled on a technical level was mainly VRAM and the lack and these large, basically forest scenes I was doing that were just crashing my, my really janky setup back then, which was like a MacBook Pro connected to an external GPU. And I was just running older Mac OS software to get it to all work and using Octane, Octane render in Cinema 4D. And the whole thing was just struggling. And eventually it just became impossible to even render a frame. It would just crash. And since then I moved to Redshift, which is a lot more stable and can hand, handle larger scenes without completely freaking out and crashing. Yeah. Do you ever use Redshift? Do you ever use proxies and stuff? I don't know if you, it depends on the scale of the scene. Speaking of a uh, RAM. I've used, yeah, I've not used like the Redshift like proxy things. Yeah. I used a bunch of like instances and things like that, but that's yeah. more a Cinema 4D feature and they're very good with their uh, multi-scatter and mm. render instances and things like that. But that's cool. yeah, I'm not great at optimizing a 3D scene. So mine are, yeah, are pretty enough. heavy half the time. Yeah, for it, to give people like a sense of the scale, because like earlier you mentioned like a, mo a month in regards to after all that's done and you get into compositing and you work with that month long render time for people listening, like that's not an exaggeration, like he's not exaggerating, <laughs> like it can take <laughs> a month to, if I've done math on my, I was like, if I render this on my machine, it will take four months to render this 24 hours a day and no frames fail. And that's why you have to turn to other methods like cloud rendering or setting up your own render farm. And for someone who's just interested in animation though, that's typically what we don't have to worry about as animators. And we try to work in as light of scenes as possible. So if you have a forest or something, you would have only a tree that they're interacting with or just little primitives so that you can keep the scene super light. So I just don't want to scare away any people who are like, I want to animate and I have to deal with all this other stuff. That's not really an animator's thing. I know a lot of people get into animation because they want to do what you're doing and make these amazing short films. And then they're hit with this reality of, oh, there's all these kind of steps along the way that they're not aware of. So just wanted to differentiate between if you just want to become an animator in a studio versus if you want to make your own short film, those are two different considerations that you need to think about in terms of like your home setup or what all the things you need to learn and the time it takes to do all of that and the different kind of focuses you have to have. But I think that's why it makes your story so unique because I feel like not many people are for good reason are successful. It, it becoming a journalist because it's so difficult to get good in so many different areas to pull like something like that off that you do like the grump in the night thing, a short film, it was, I think it, you said it went to festivals or you've put it in a couple of festivals. Is that right? Yep. That one story-wise, I think it was great. And it's one of those short films that for the reasons that you chose to do it, that you described that it's in one location and it's something you can manage. Well, the story was such that, and the way it was done are things that are something that are at the top of my mind that, oh, I can tell it's in one environment and he must, you're so enthralled by the story itself that the reasons why you chose to do it on technical level aren't obvious to someone, I think, watching it, which I think just speaks even more to the success of that execution of that idea was really impressive. So if you guys haven't listening, if you've not watched his stuff yet, you can see on his YouTube channel, I think it's Chris with a K E T. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, on YouTube. And so if you type in something's awry, 
as well. That's the name of their production company. You could find their YouTube channel as well to see and subscribe to his channel there as well to see his future work. Cause I'm sure you have some new amazing stuff coming down the road. Like you said, the one that the idea you went with was that's an idea you've had for a long time. So are there a bunch of ideas you've also had for a long time you haven't gotten to yet? Yeah. Like there's always a list somewhere. There's a bunch of, we've had, we have a bunch of scripts that have come and gone and weren't made for various reasons. I, there are, yeah, there are, there aren't as many as, as many fully formed stories as you might think that I would consider. Do I have my, my brothers are both the writers and they, they write a bunch of the, their own scripts, short stories, things like that. And some of them are my style with the more achievable, the more achievable aspects of them and the stories that sort of appeal to me, but then a lot more of them are what, what appeals to them. And, and I've learned over the years that they like a lot of sci-fi and a lot of larger concepts basically. And I'm definitely more of lean more towards like the Pixar types of things, especially like Grump of the Night is peak, <laughs> the kind of stuff that I like to do. So there's always ideas though, floating around of what I'd like to do next with sort of techniques and visuals that I like to do. Cause with all my things, I try to at least make my short films or like the various like scenes or characters I make. I like try to do something I haven't done before. Grump in the Night was distinct in that it was definitely very Pixar-y and very much a family comedy drama thing or that was very different from what I did bef right before that, which I think it was a, a very short animation with a, a wizard character and a bunch of skeletons and fighting those. And then before that, I think it was an astron space or something. No, before that was Cyber Kicks, which is like a cyberpunk um, music cool, video yeah. running thing. And so, yeah, every single one of my shorts, one after another, I hope to make a different sort of genre or different types of character designs, things like that. So that when basically when I put it in my reel or on the website, it'll make a more entertaining, more varied sort of collection of things. And like I said, I can then show that to a client and then like all, all these things to choose from hopefully. And that's the idea with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Cybercase was the one I think that stood out to me because I was like, surely Adidas or someone you partnered with someone to have, I think was, that wasn't a commercial thing. I just, no. yeah, but it was, <laughs> I think it was the one that I'm thinking of where I was like, it, it feels like very well executed in that way, like high quality. And then, but there is no branding to it. And that, that's why it stood out to me because it's normally people who are able to achieve that level they they have to have a significant budget from a commercial <laughs> yeah. budget to be able to pull that off. So it's not often you see that level of execution that is why it stood out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for these, a lot of those spots, like most of them, at least a lot of my short animations are made in a way where you can, where they're made almost as spec commercials where you can almost imagine a client including their logo in there and that actually being like some sort of like promotional short film which is like the peak of what i would love to do with the client like for the wizard skeleton battles that was to tailor to more of the mobile games market or just games in general because that it had a very gamey design the the characters were definitely a bit more uh, kid friendly and the whole mm -hmm. setting was more magical and things like that and that's why that one was made in the first place and then like another one an astronaut going through like a colorful lava space cavern that was another thing that was vaguely trying to be a commercial for something at some point but that one pivoted halfway through production but yeah and then obviously cyber kicks is ne was never intended to be like a kind of a shoe commercial but it did end up focusing on that shoe quite a bit definitely has that vibe but yeah, yeah just being able to but yeah for all those things we've had people we've had various potential clients at least come to us citing those videos and being like, we loved what you did with this. Here's another project. And whether or not those worked out is another matter. But that was the whole idea. <laughs> that was the whole idea behind that. And at least for some of them, it definitely worked out and getting attention. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's a really smart way to go, especially 
for if you had your druthers, I don't know if that's a phrase, right? Is druthers a thing? <laughs> I feel like when I say druthers, I mean, it sounds like smuckers or something. It feels like it should be a jam or something. If you had your way, would you go down the route of the short films and just make as many short films as you could or work towards a feature or kind of what's, you know, we started this talking about it to me from an outsider's perspective and talking to a lot of students, you're kind of their goal. Like you get to do all these different things. What's the next five or 10 years for you or where you'd like to take it if you had your druthers? <laughs> Sorry for well, the weird crazy what, what is, yeah, what does druthers mean? Exactly? I don't know. I need to Google I'm it. It's curious. If you have your druthers, druthers definition, free choice. If you had your free choice. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that is a good question because there is, I'd say there is like a huge appeal to me in the, in getting fun commercial projects to work on that are 30 seconds and pay a good bit of money and have just these fun, whimsical ideas. Like those I love doing, but those are more far and few between a lot of commer potential commercial projects, projects you get to, to pitch on are not the most exciting things. So in a, in a pitch, like just to pitch a project as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah, pitching, pitching projects is the worst part of what I have yeah. to do sometimes. But yeah, if I had like my choice of just what I want to do, it really, it would be focusing on doing the, doing more of the short film stuff that I do now. Not even necessarily, at least for the short to near term, not even trying to work up to something longer form because for 3D especially, it becomes quite, quite a technical nation challenge to actually do like a 20 minute short film or like a yeah. feature or something like that for at least like the, but doing what I did with Crump in the Night and with Unlucky Charms, that's like what I love to these like four minute short films that definitely are, are more meatier than my earlier, like 30 second work that I've, that I did for like the past few years, not, not intense enough that it would take about like a year and a half to do and to 10 minutes short and things like that. So there's like a, there's a middle ground between it all where I think at the moment, I just would love to keep exploring that and, and definitely making the concepts and the visuals and the character design a bit more, a bit more iconic, a bit more unique and going off of that. Yeah. I'd love to see that. And everyone listening, definitely give Chris a follow on become his 100 and first YouTube subscriber. I think you're <laughs> hundreds now because yeah, I feel like social media, especially is the perfect platform for that kind of thing where it could ideally hopefully fund itself as well. I don't know. I'm not working at those numbers. That is, yeah, that is the dream. <laughs> One day. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Are you going to be doing another Clinton Jones competition in the future? Or is that, was that kind of like a one-off? I'm sure you got your hands full doing other stuff, but. Yeah, it's a combination of hands being full, but also, mm -hmm. but also I wouldn't want to try and compete again after, um, after winning the last one or the one this time last year, basically. Yeah. Just because, yeah, 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 yeah I would love that. Yeah. yeah. I love the, I love the whole competition. It's like yeah. such an awesome little contest and I would love to do it. Again. But yeah, once you get first place, that's as, as high as you go. And yeah. I would love to just see other people see what they have to do. I wouldn't want to try and just wriggle my way back in there and try and get like another prize. I, I don't think that'd be, that's that would enough. make sense. Or, have you, I do have, love those competitions. Yeah. Have you thought about taking that character, that situation further into a short film? Is that on your, is, is that on your radar or was that kind of like a one-off animation? That was probably more of a one-off thing. More just because I think there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of ideas. So I think I did what I want to do with that sort of setup. And I definitely don't like to stick in like one, one, I don't like to stick in one sort of realm or genre or character for too long just because it gets boring for me and yeah and yeah i think that that scene i would have liked to have made a bit more with that character because i did fully fully flesh it out for animation i think uh, yeah. i'd like to do more more different yeah, things awesome. now yeah. and that's why i love social media so much because it gives creators the freedom to do whatever they want to be doing and that's what I want to be watching anyway. So it's a self cycle thing. So I love the fact that you went from 10 to a hundred thousand, such a short amount of time on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, keep that going. I want you to enable, I want you to be enabled to do whatever you want to do creator wise. Cause yeah, that would be awesome. Still not quite there yet, but I'm yeah. trying.
(laughs) So what advice would you give? Is there anything you would do different looking back or what advice would you give for someone who's wanting to have a similar path to yours? Who's just starting out? Yeah. We touched on that a bit with, especially with regarding my earliest short films that fizzled and died because of just biting off more than I can chew. My... It really, yeah, obviously just not getting over ambitious Mm -hmm. starting out is a huge thing, but just what I did after I did the one project that fizzled and then exactly one year after that, I did another huge project that this time I was, I swore I was going to finish this one. That one eventually fizzled after an even longer period of pre-production and some production, which was very sad, but both of those are just over ambitious, biting off more than I can chew. And after both of those fizzled. In 2020, the year after that, is when I basically almost reset a little bit in terms of my my expectations of what I wanted to make. So you can see there's some, the earliest short film was there was this, not a human short film, but the earliest animation I did after I tried to recenter what I, how I approached these things was like a balloon pirate thing where these, it was very, it was a very minimal thing just in the clouds with these two kids who are just riding this like homemade pirate ship thing with a bunch of balloons on it. And that was two shots, two shots reusing characters that I already made. And the idea behind that was all relating back to just not, not getting carried away by overambitious stories or all these shit like that. So I started insanely small and used that as a, as an excuse to learn one new thing, which in this case was how to basically just render better using, using the uh, ASUS color oh standard yeah. stuff back <laughs> yeah. in 2020 when that was not even, I still not don't even know really how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Even back then though, it was yeah. a more janky uh, setup that you had to do with Redshift to get that to work, but yeah. that was done to learn that. And then the short film I, or the short animation I did after that, I ramped it up to two, two or three shots, but this time it was like a fight scene with like this orbiting camera. And that was a, a serial ninja that I did or a serial samurai is what I called it. Oh yeah. Uh, and that one was building off of all the stuff I learned from that, improving my character modeling, improving rendering, lighting, and being a bit more ambitious on that. And then after that, it moved on to another project. I think maybe it was cyber or something else. And so it basically is but using these, each of these like shorter or these progressively longer and longer animations as basically jumping stepping stones or places to jump from to motivate myself to learn one new thing in 3D and eventually build up to like where I am now with doing like Grump of the Night, Unlucky Charms, where you can basically like, if you go to my Instagram, keep scrolling down, you see my projects obviously get progressively like simpler and simpler, but you'll notice I might try and add one more thing as they get new hair simulations, cloth simulations, lighting, or just different techniques or genres, things like that. It's all being used as a way to slowly ramp myself up to actually being able to achieve a short film, not have it fizzle out and just get not overwhelmed by just the whole 3D process, which if you're going to jump into the deep end can seem very intimidating, but if you work on it over a year or two years or three years and just build up to it one step at a time. It can seem a lot less horrifying to look at. Yeah. And I feel like too, a lot of people are faced with a similar situation. Like we all have our own stumbles, especially at the beginning. There's so many opportunities to stumble when you don't know, you know, what you don't know yet. And I think what's unique too about you is like, you obviously didn't quit. Like most people would go through that situation and then be like, ah, it's just not for me. And just throw out their hands and just not continue doing it. Whereas you kept at it and kept trying to find a way to make it work with the knowledge that you had at the time and then constantly building on it till now it's, it's really paid off and it's clear in your work. So that's a really great kind of uh, motto. <laughs> what's <laughs> parable? What's the thing you get from a story? The moral of the story? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. The takeaway from your journey to me is that, is that consistent effort building on itself 
not giving up and then chunking down as you face each new challenge to make it manageable, I think is a really great takeaway for people who are wanting to do something similar to, to you have. So thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. And is there anything else you would like to share before we wrap it up to people who are thinking about doing this as a career or just as a hobby or anything like that. I feel like, I, I feel like that last part that, that covered that's it. it. That was a, that's my yeah. life lesson. I try to give it like yeah. the end of all yeah. the, uh, the end of interviews yeah. and things like that. But right. yeah, cool. just well, start well, small. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Chris. We'll end it there. And I appreciate your time. And, uh, where can people check you out? YouTube, Chris ET, the spell Chris with a K something to yep. arrive productions is they want to hire you. Anyone do a listening who are commercial work. You're on Instagram as well. Is that under your name yep. or something is awry? That's under my name. Just Chris Theron. We'll have all these links in the show notes for wherever you're listening to the podcast. Yep. Thanks Chris. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs>